So we're switching it up for this episode. Uh, I was invited to speak with Ashley Druve on his podcast, and I figured he's probably the most inspiring guy I've ever met in terms of ultra running and just inspiring in general. I'd happily sit down and chat with him. So we had a pretty interesting conversation, and I wanted to share it with you guys. I'll leave a link in the show notes to his podcast, but if you don't know Ashley's story, I believe it's episode 88. Check it out. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thanks, man. I respect the shit out of that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. <laughs> okay. So classic. Oh my god, you because literally thing would be like beep, beep, beep. Mother, mother, beep. Mother, mother, beep, beep. Mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra podcast. Welcome to episode 120 of the Training for Ultra podcast. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And again, I'm invited onto Ashley Drew's podcast. He, I, I really, truly believe, should be most inspiring ultra runner, trail runner of 2019 that I've spoken with. Episode 88, if you haven't listened to it yet, Definitely download it, check it out. His story is just unbelievable, and it's always humbling speaking with him. He puts life in perspective, and he's battling cancer like nobody's business, and he's also uh, training for ultras. So it was an honor to be on his show. Big thank you to the show sponsors, Ham Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, Exoskin, Destination Trail, Ultimate Direction, Really appreciative of the Patreon supporters. I'm also offering very, very limited openings for mentoring. Check out trainingforultra.com. Already filled up five spots in one mention of the last podcast. So honestly, I don't think I have much more room at all because I want to focus on those athletes. But yeah, the sponsors this year have been awesome. Hopefully coming up soon, we start talking goals for 2020. And hopefully I can convince Michelle Barton to get on another episode. Um, she's been a little shy recently. But anyways, guys, enjoy this episode. Again, this is Ashley interviewing me for his podcast. Thanks for your support. Hope everyone has a uh, a happy new year. I just started this one, which is uh, Run, Walk, Crawl, which was not just to, to interview um runners but to interview other people you know like because i meet a lot of people in hospital and stuff that just have amazing stories and i just wanted to kind of share those so uh yeah that's cool very cool that's how it came about so you sound you sound sound really good yeah 
Uh, you sound more energetic, I want to say, than the last time we talked. Um, yeah, it's like I've got my latest. Uh, did you read my uh, Facebook post on my latest scan? Uh, I, I haven't had a chance yet. No, no, that's all right. You, you, you've become stupid busy. Um, just crazy it's, what you're doing. It's gotten it's gotten carried away, honestly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's okay. I'm I'm trying to uh, make it all work. So, yeah. You no, know, tell tell me about your post and your most recent yeah. scan. I want I want to hear about that. So, uh, so I had my most uh, recent PET scan, which was uh, last Monday, and um, so basically, it shows tumors, uh, active tumors. So it doesn't show non-active tumors, but it shows active tumors above and below my diaphragm in my liver around my liver, adjacent to my liver, uh, and then one uh, just uh, above my heart where the aorta connects to my heart, uh, and then a bunch down in my right, um, like at the top of my right leg, so where the femur connects in, uh, and in my pelvic cavity. And uh, so we, we, we got the results back, and I haven't seen a doctor yet. Uh, apparently, I got a phone call yesterday from the doctor saying, where are you? You're not here. We're here. We need to discuss your case. And it's like, uh, I've got no appointment in my appointment book, but apparently they'd, uh, they'd automatically booked one and then sent the uh, mail to our previous address. Oh, so, uh, my gosh. So I miss that anyway. I'll, I'll catch up with that on Monday. And um, so that was all good. My wife was worried about the one which is up next to my aorta, but um, when we've gone back through the, like the like have scans pretty regularly, we've gone back through the other scans. It pops up every so often, and then it goes away, and then it pops up again. So it's nothing. I'm going to say it's nothing major. It just sometimes it's active and sometimes it's not. And um, but my right femur glowed really bright on the screen. So nice. I'm hope. I'm hoping that that is just an acute injury um, yeah. rather than a, a tumour um, in my femur. So, yeah, so basically it, it, overall everything's stable. There's a few things that need a little bit of further investigation because they're a little bit hot as such, but um, we'll figure that out next week. I mean, you're so. you're just a huge inspiration. I vividly remember talking to you and – walking away from that conversation and just being, I don't know, it just changed my outlook on life and made me thankful for all the little things. And I was just amazed at how much you've overcome. And it's hard for me to complain about anything, like anything um, compared to just what you go through on a daily basis. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited that you're doing a podcast. I can't wait to, uh, you know, subscribe and start listening to some of the stories you're sharing. Ta, ta. So, uh, yeah, so you've been doing some crazy stuff this year yourself, some very inspirational things with uh, raising money, 401k. Yeah. um, Yeah. We call our superannuation, whereas you call yours a 401k. So it just, that's just the perfect name for it. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, it's funny because I'm not really sure how it came together. I think I was actually on Facebook and I saw someone joking that they signed up for their company's 401k and they weren't sure how many miles that was. 
um, which is kind of like a typical joke. But then I made this weird connection where I was like, I work with this woman. Her daughter, Celia, has a histiocytosis tumor in the brain, which I don't think theoretically should even exist. She had one removed last year. And now she's doing chemo 12, 12 months of it, once a month, going oh, through that whole huge. cycle. She's eight-year-old, you know, little girl, totally innocent, um, nicest little little thing on the planet. And just it killed me uh, knowing how bad, like, chemotherapy treatments are and how much she'd be suffering for, you know, no wrongdoing on her, on her own. And... So I decided to take Moab 240, which was the last race of the Triple Crown this year for me, and tag on some extra miles and actually make it a 401k. And I happen to work for a company that does, I think they're the second largest provider um, of, uh, they're just a large provider of um, 401k like retirement type accounts. So they got on board. They were super excited. Uh, we both work for the same company, Robin and I, whose daughter was sick. So the company got behind it. All the associates that you know work with us on a daily basis were excited. I think all the you know the fans, listeners of Training for Ultra were excited, and we even did charity podcast episodes where. Uh, I opened it up to the highest bidder gets to interview Courtney DeWalter and Hayden Hawks and some, you know, super fast ultra runners, just great people. And that just kept opening up stories. And like Hayden talked about how, you know, cancer had impacted his life and, uh, you know, some of his relatives and that he had done his own fundraising efforts in Utah and, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal how much money was raised. I think we raised $70,000, and there was a huge, like, generous incentive payment for me to finish the race. So the pressure was on at Moab 240. No one really, I think, grasped the enorm- enormity of just finishing that race and how many dollars were at stake that would be donated if I finished. So I it really helped me during the race. And put everything in perspective and yeah, hopefully we can really help some people with those, those funds and histiocytosis like gets kind of overlooked and yeah, I've had ultra runners come up to me that are uh, physicians and doctors and whatnot. And they've said how horrible, um, you know, how horrible it is and that they just really were appreciative of raising awareness. So I, I was very thankful to finish Moab 240 and it was an odd race. I started the race. I did seven and a quarter miles before the start line. Then within the first 10 miles, I was running with David Goggins. It was just bizarre. (laughs) It was like, it was like, I don't know if it was a dream or a nightmare, but the real, (laughs) The, the realization of like you're up at 4 a.m. when everyone doing that race was sleeping still, even David Goggins was highly likely sleeping. It was like, man, this is weird. But we uh, we had a Ryan Clayton who does some YouTube videos. I we're teaming up and we're gonna 
develop a TV show that hopefully I think will go on Amazon. We might get it on a different TV show. I, I'm not really sure yet. But we documented the whole Triple Crown. And so if you're wondering what I'm even talking about here with uh, running seven and a quarter miles before you run a 240-mile race, um, you'll get some of the logic behind it. It was a special experience. Seriously, a lot a lot of people made that happen. Um, and I, as weird as it sounds, I mean, the easiest part of it was just getting out there and running, you know? It's it's cra- it's crazy how um, the easy part is the running part. I'm I'm learning that rapidly with some of the stuff yeah. that I'm trying to take on. Is uh, just just leave me a line to go run. Like uh, just recently, I've been doing a couple of photo shoots for promo stuff. Oh man, the stuff you have to do for a photo shoot it's just ridiculous. It's so just- much like logistics and so many people's schedules that have to get lined up and. Then you throw in the the Moab 240 logistics and crew and pacing, and once you throw in two or three cameramen, it just gets insane. There's probably a team of like 15 people behind the scenes that all made that work, and then we had a whole team at the uh, Children's Hospital in Texas that were like lining up stuff on the website, and I was working with the PR and social media directors and like all kinds of people at empower retirement hammer nutrition just just like a little tiny insight there they they printed up all my shirts because they're custom shirts little things like the shirt is made in italy well at the time uh they were like basically closed up for the summer um so the custom print they had to like find blank shirts and custom print them in the U.S. and then we had to ship them and time all this out and it was it was unreal. Then they were like synchronizing that with articles and the cover of their endurance news. It was just so many moving parts. I am very very thankful it all came together because Celia deserves it. And that was the most bizarre part was crossing the finish line. I mean, I was happy and it was a relief and I knew like, you know, a lot, a lot of funds were going to go help this cause, but Celia is still battling. So it was like kind of, it was kind of a weird finish line for me. Like I was really happy and it was the finish of the triple crown, but I feel like the celebration will be when Celia, you know, finishes her race, you know, all, all these chemotherapy uh, treatments that knock her out for a few days, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. Look, uh, when I when I go into hospital and you know I sit in a, a waiting, you sit in the ward waiting waiting to go in to either see a doctor or get treatment or whatever. And um, yeah, when you see kids there, it's just like, it's it's just horrible. It really it's is. Hard, like they have they have hard, even started living heartbreaking. Exactly. Yeah. They're so innocent. They haven't even lived long enough to do anything wrong, you know. Like that, that's exactly even if, right. Even if they were, uh, like, you know, bad people, <laughs> like they haven't done anything. They haven't lived long enough to even make bad decisions. Um, it's yeah, it's heartbreaking. Uh, it was. It would have been much much harder for me to sit back. I've said this before. Sit back idly and watch. Um, and it turned out that it turned. 
like using kind of my running and, and podcast and everything as a platform really helped uh, Celia's family be able to express to her other family members and friends like what's going on because uh, my coworker Robin's always felt kind of, you know, I don't know if I really want to share this with everyone. And this gave them kind of the prime opportunity to not only do something great, but then also be able to feel comfortable sharing their story, you know, and not feeling like, you know, this is a, a charity case or something like that. It was more of, you know, this is this is what's going on and all this money is going to histiocytosis research. You know, this isn't going to Robin or Celia. So this is so that the next child or person that has some kind of, you know, weird um, form of this histiocytosis tumor, you know, at least they don't have to start from scratch. scratch. And that's, that's how Robin started. She's super smart. She did all, all the research she went to the best doctors in the world and talking to her i'm like what what happens when someone you know just hard-working person that you know doesn't have you know maybe the intellectual capabilities or financial means to go to these best doctors like where do they go because there's only been seven cases i think or even less of that tumor being in the brain so like where do they even start? Are there any resources? Like, you know, she had to go through all of that herself and figure it out. And even doing that, she still, she would go to like two or three of the best places in the whole world and get conflicting recommendations. So it's been brutal on them. The choices that she's making is for her, her daughter. It's like, it's not, it's not one of those uh, things you can, uh, you know, look back on and be like, oh, well, we made the wrong choice. I mean, this is someone's life at stake. And so I just I'm really, really trying hard to make sure that other families in the future don't have to start all over again. And at least we can make some progress with this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, it. it <laughs> It's one of those weird things. I was actually I was having coffee yesterday with um, a friend of mine who used to coach me. He coached me like 25 years ago. Um, and, and back then I'd, I'd broken my legs and I'd picked up a bike and um, I'd broken my legs doing my childhood sport of gymnastics. And I picked up a bike uh, as rehab and then I discovered triathlon. And so I went, oh, I need a triathlon coach. Anyway... I, I won't mention his name because I'm not sure how public he wants to make stuff. But anyway, he coached me for a little while and uh, he gave me a call this week just out of the blue. Like we, we catch up on Facebook or whatever every so often, but, you know, gave me a call out of the blue and said, I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And it's like, oh, man, like, and he goes, Gosh. how how do you how do you react? This was his question to me. It was a serious question. How do you react to everyone when you say you've got cancer and everyone just looks at you like you're dead already? And I said, yeah, that's just a really, it's a really weird thing because you get um, like, you, you get family or you get friends who they just don't know what to say. So they don't say anything and almost disappear from your life um, because yeah. it just, it scares the crap out of them. And it, 
like with doing what you've done for Celia there and, and allowing her family to know more, um, it, it kind of, to be able to get that story across, you know, without it being a direct family to family member um, message, I think lightens the load on the entire family. Um, and people don't realize yeah. this until, you know, the, the, they're in that situation. But yeah, for some people like dealing with um, cancer and whatever, that's a really full on traumatic experience that they just don't even want to think about. So they completely avoid it. And, and, the person who is ill feels a bit shunned. Um, and I'm you so glad that you've done what you've done to Thank take you. that out of the equation. It, and from you, from you, it means a lot. I mean, you, you know, this uh, as well as anyone, but I think society, society in general, like modern day society, we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to even, no, like, not at all. We, we don't want to contemplate it where like, Throughout time, like this has been pretty normal. Like this has been part of cultures, and like it it, it leads to like a, a nice uh, perspective and a thankfulness of reflecting and contemplating death. It's not a bad thing, but this day and age, we ignore it. We pretend like death is not a thing, and anyone that has even the hint of like the possibility is kind of shunned because. Society as a whole doesn't even accept that concept really anymore. Um, it, it's strange how it's gotten. Uh, I think we might actually be better off kind of reflecting on that kind of stuff, uh, regardless of your health condition. And then, you know, it's it, unfortunately everyone listening to this, you know, is going to die at some point. So. Sorry to break it to you guys. We don't get to live forever. Um, as morbid as that sounds like it, just enjoy the conversation you're in, be more thankful. And I, I truly think a little bit of reflection on that front would, uh, do us, do us, a a, a favor might make society a little more thankful, you know, for the moments we have now. Y yeah. You've, You've got to live now. There's, there is, if you don't live today, like you've got to live today, like there is no tomorrow. That's, that's just, that's my approach now anyway. It, it probably wasn't before I realised that maybe there's not so many tomorrows left. But um, once I realised that, you know, you, you just do what you can today to make the best of your day. And, you know, exactly. if that means making exactly. up with somebody that you've had a fight with, well, then do it. If, if you know, just swallow it and, and get on. Um, but yeah, I, it's, I'm all about living in the present. I don't know if it's Buddhist type thinking or stoic or what it is, but like, I just, it was kind of like a self discovery on the trails. So I don't know if it's inherently natural or what created this understanding for myself. Um, I describe it a little bit in the book, but, uh, it's, there's something to it and I, I don't think anxiety exists when you're living in the present because you're mostly anxious about upcoming future events or like depressed about past events. There's so much to be gained from living in the present and really uh, living in the conversation that you're in and enjoying it. I mean, I respect the heck out of you. Uh, 
getting after it every day and not feeling bad for yourself. You have, you know, your, your body's constantly being destroyed and you get up every day and you're just, you have more energy some days than me. And than me. Like you'll send me three messages. And I just am like exhausted and can hard, <laughs> can hardly reply. Um, and I'm, I'm just amazed, Ashley, seriously. Mate, that could be because you tried to take on too much. You know. <laughs> I mean, I what, just knock, what you... I knock down a goal one at a time. That's all I can do. One at a and, time. Yeah, well, hopefully when I, I didn't. When I look at what you're doing. I think, geez, how on earth are you putting all that into a calendar? Like, yeah, <laughs> it just blows my mind. It really does. But, I mean, it's once you lose the fear of failure. Um, I don't know my perspective on things. I I don't see anything really as a failure. I think the biggest thing you could do to really fail is to get out there and not learn anything from the experience. So like if you walk away, like, you know, ultra races are pretty easy uh, thing to use as an example. Like you DNF at mile 13 of a hundred miler and you just walk away and that's it. Like, no lessons learned that I would say that's actually a pretty good failure, but I take away something from every race, whether it's the community or some technical part of running or nutrition or hydration. Like I take away something from every experience. And so I'm not really scared of signing up for things that others might think are like borderline impossible tasks. And, um, I don't know, like, 2020 i'm planning on running 330 mile race and i'm not yeah, that's I'm not, just nuts that i'm not awesome, I'm, by the way i'm not phased like i just i'm really excited to explore california see different you know wildlife see different types of terrain mountains views i'm a very visual thinker so this is all like i'm just in heaven trail running most of the time and uh yeah, like really what's the worst that can come out of this? And people like you, Ashley, are like the perspective that like helps at least my thinking. It's like really like do I have anything to complain about? Like, you know, my my ankle hurts right now. Like someone like you is is getting up with you know, the cards stacked against you and and yet you keep doing it day and day out and with a smile it's just it's amazing Mate, I, I just do it because it makes me feel good at the end of the day it's 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 uh it's pretty simple <laughs> it makes it makes you feel good go and do it some more that's uh i, I think that's probably that's probably correct for most things there's a few things that that may not it's be the good case. life philosophy pretty much i mean for yeah. the most part yeah no i agree so, i mean life's life's too short as we both know and why not do things that make you happy? And that's what I've devoted. Basically, I'd say the rest of my running career, like I really spent four years of, of running, or maybe it's three. I can't remember kind of self-discovery. And then once, once I kind of cracked that code, I was like, I just want to share this experience. I want other people to have an outlet for stress and anxiety and depression 
whatever ailment, we, we all have issues on some front. Like, here's what I did to make my life more pleasant. Like, just go experience this. This is how I got healthy and happy, essentially. And 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 that's kind of been my objective. I know it's long-winded, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why I started the podcast. That's how we met, essentially. Like, I'm just trying to share trail running and uh, running in general is just a great outlet. So whatever, I don't think it'll it'll solve, uh, it's not going to create world peace or anything, but it actually could come pretty close if everyone is a runner. I, um, I think that if, <laughs> I think, honestly, I think that if everyone was a runner, it might just come very close to solving world peace. That's for sure. As, as ridiculous as that sounds, I It does sound ridiculous agree. and corny, but um, a, a lot of – when I'm out in a run, and I, and I think this is true for a lot of people, like it could be wrong. I'm sure that someone will tell me I'm wrong, but uh, a lot of problems get solved when I'm out on a run. And oh, yeah. um, or things – or where, you know, I've – made a, a mountain out of a molehill you know by the t- by the end of the run i go ah, it it is just a molehill don't stress it it's all good so yeah no totally that's where it's at so uh you're talking like you're dyslexic correct you yeah from uh, dyslexia and it, it yeah. dyslexia is dyslexia is on a scale uh, yeah, some yeah. people are worse than others, and and some people are English dyslexic, and some people uh, is is language dyslexic. Some people are maths dyslexic, etc. Um, mm-hmm. When you're recording your book, <laughs> yeah, you know that that sounded really like a growing experience for you, um, from what you were you were saying and 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 posting. Uh, obviously, the end result's brilliant, but. Um, Oh, thank you. Yeah, how 80, did like eighty hours later for a yeah, six-hour book or six and a half-hour audio book? So, how did you do that? Did you just sit there with the with your, your your script in front of you and try and just read it out, or did you try to memorize you know a paragraph and then read a paragraph and stick it together? Like, um, so I don't. What was your What was your solution to the problem? Re- reading for people with dyslexia is uh, difficult. And a lot of times audiobooks are the solution. In my case, it was actually the antithesis of a solution because I had to read the audiobook. Um, and yeah, I've been mortified my whole life of reading out loud. And so I just had a copy of my book and I would go paragraph by paragraph. I would literally record one paragraph and click stop. Normally, it would take me three or four tries. And the reasoning behind that is because I, I wrote... So a lot of people think that I didn't even write my book, which is super weird. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I wrote... Like, I didn't have a ghostwriter or anything like that. Um, but my editor occasionally would change one word in, like, a paragraph. So, like, the was shifted to these or... I, I don't know. Like these very, very minor changes, um, I, in my head, wrote it so I know what the flow what is. What you originally wrote, yeah. 
Yeah. And so these very minor changes trip me up. And then I also don't sound out words. I see each word as a picture. So that's just not a natural, like reading out loud doesn't convert. Um, and I can see everything visually and basically I can, I can create a 3d model of, uh, whatever I'm reading or thinking about and rotated. And it's, it's, a great advantage and it's actually probably one of my biggest strengths but then at times it's my biggest weakness and yeah that really showed up in in trying to read this whole book and i think it was the hardest thing i've ever done and i was joking with david goggins about this when we were running the beginning of moab t40 um because he also has some kind of learning disability and yeah, we 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 had a good chuckle because like we both kind of agreed that some of our you know things that we have seen as huge disadvantages or even called disabilities end up being our biggest strength. So, like in running, I can go, I can click into flow and meditate um, probably faster than ninety nine percent of people. And that's because I've trained my brain to go from thinking uh, visually to being able to like basically click the slides off and live in the present without thought. So I can turn my brain off and then run and enjoy each footstep, essentially. I also have a naturally much higher pain tolerance. And I think... I don't know if it's proven or not, but I've seen mentions of this in, um, I don't know, academic work that uh, dyslexia I either have actually have a much like higher or lower pain tolerance, but it affects the way you understand pain. So I naturally am kind of gifted uh, at being able to probably run a little bit longer because I don't sense pain the same way as most people. So again, I, I just happen to get lucky. I don't know if I've trained myself uh, to be able to cope with this stuff, but um, we're, we're all just playing the cards we're dealt. And unfortunately, most school systems don't think um, in terms of people that think a little differently. But yeah, history shows that uh, sometimes sometimes having a visual way of thinking has been pretty successful. And I'm just making the most of the cards I was dealt with. And yeah, again, I think it's one of my biggest strengths now. It allows me, like I'm in business, I'm, I'm a corporate bond analyst, but I can see logistical supply chains in my head of a company and then I can see another company and where they're, you know, how their systems work. And then all of a sudden I can, I can kind of combine two visual pictures and see overlapping distribution centers that could be consolidated. And then all of a sudden M and a makes a lot of sense when you combine this company and that company. And yeah, it's, it's fun. Uh, to be able to think differently because that's the real value add in our society when everyone is trained to think the same. Oh yeah. Well, that's what makes someone worth of extra value as such, especially in yeah. a business where 
you know, there's there's someone else who's or there's someone there who's thinking differently to everybody else that uh, it might be a very niche section of the business, but it makes a massive difference to that business's profitability. Um, and hopefully that individual, and in your case, hopefully that individual is getting compensated appropriately. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's a higher stress type job, and running has been my stress outlet. And now it's just kind of a life passion, I would say. I, I really like helping people, you know, find, you know, discover themselves through running. Whether that be just losing a few pounds and being healthier or spiritual awareness or whatever it is, like getting after some goal that they thought was impossible. I mean, that's just awesome. And again, it goes back to just life's too short. Like, I don't want people to be unhappy for whatever reason. Like, we should just all enjoy um, the present and at least have the tools to know like how to go about making uh, things better for yourself. And that's truly been what I've been doing ever since Moab 240 last year uh, in kind of that self-discovery moment. I've just been like, you know, I've pretty much found myself. I'm very happy and like, let's, let's pay it forward to everyone that, made the sacrifices before me and helped me get to where I am. Like I, I need to, I wrote the book with the goal of, uh, you know, inspiring life changing, like positive developments for 40 people. And that's the only reason I wrote the book. It wasn't, uh, you know, stroking the ego or anything like that. It was, and it's actually pretty humbling at the beginning of this book. Um, I think I've probably helped, Like I've well exceeded that 40 person uh, goal and I'm just, you know, thankful for each message that I get, you know, someone that lost 50 pounds or, you know, ran their first ultra when they thought ultra running was only for the super elites. You good? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just, uh, (laughs) My great Dane just decided to join us. So uh, nice, yeah. What? He uh, he had surgery yesterday, and he's not. Um, oh gosh, he's not. He's not particularly happy. So, uh, <laughs> What's his so name? He's just. He's literally. He's literally just. His name's Dozer, and, Dozer. and the door was shut. But um, we've got <laughs> lever <laughs> doors. We, we've got lever doors here, and he's worked out. He's, you know, like his his head's the same height as the. As the lever, and he's worked out that if he just touches the lever with his paw, he can lay himself wherever he wants. So uh, yeah, he's just uh, let himself in here and now settled down on the the floor. So yes, that's uh, that's that's our dog. We could learn a lot from those pets. I don't think they really have too much capacity for remembering the past or predicting the future. Um, no. That- you know? He definitely lives in the moment. It uh, <laughs> certainly makes too. my life a lot better, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, he's crashed out now. He's pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in um, in Moab 240, not this year, but last year, what do you think happened? Like, 
you know, it's it's almost it's almost like uh, you've had a born again moment from what you've just described. And I think yeah. everyone has these at some point in their life. If they, you know, they live for long enough and consciously enough, they suddenly get this moment, whether it's it's small or big. Um, but can you actually pinpoint it? Like what? what oh happened? yeah, yeah. What's the weirdest thing is it's actually on film. The exact, really? pla- yeah, yeah. The exact place and time and moment. Uh, in in that YouTube video, it's called "Running Four Days." Like. It's spelled out like the number four. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it was mile like one, one fifty five, and I think it was a combination of sleep deprivation, but also being depleted of normal like food. So like I was low on calories because I'd just been going so long that it just created the right environment for my brain to to register things differently. So I don't know now, whether this is when you lost all your calories, isn't it? Um, I lost those early. Uh, lost yeah, those early. Yeah, like mile twenty. But yeah, it was hard. Was it that I, early. Yeah, I bonked for thirty miles, so that got me to mile fifty. But we're talking a hundred miles past that. Yeah, and it was just a deep level of flow that became like a spiritual level of flow, and it's it's truly. I, I've concluded you can't really describe it in words, and I don't know the exact variables that created this environment when I had this kind of like spiritual awakening. Um, but yeah, I think part of it was mentally thinking this was borderline impossible. And so when you're running uh, confidently and it's mile 155, that in itself is kind of mind blowing. But yeah, I, I, I really I can't put it into words. It was, um, it was definitely the sensation of flow, but it was just take that up like ten notches. And the worst part was I ran that exact section this year. Nothing. It was actually kind of a low. <laughs> I like I was wondering like, is it the environment? Is it this? part of the trail that's special that did this no no not at all it was a letdown (laughs) it was a letdown so did it um did it smell a particular way or did it uh you know like something smell and they taste and they see color um were any of those no this was um it wasn't like uh it wasn't an outer body experience but it was uh, a deep peace and acceptance. I think it was, yeah, that's, that's how I describe it. It was accepting. I think I even wrote it. It was like, I accepted every past decision I'd ever made. And then I accepted every future decision I would ever make. And I was just like, I was happy and comfortable with who I was. And like, I accepted all my flaws and I, I this is I almost think, like a coming of age in a moment. I, mean, I kind of called it like running a mile in Nirvana. Um, I, I don't. I, I truly. I don't think words can really describe it. We we're like so. Um, yeah, back to society here. But like we're so 
word dependent where certain experiences, there are no words to describe those experiences. Um, yeah. And that's what happened there. And I did not expect it. I, I went to Moab 240 last year to push my, my limits. I really, really wanted to see what I was physically capable of and surpassing those limits. I, I was not expecting, I wasn't on a vision quest, you know, like (laughs) I, I didn't, go there to dig deep into my soul. But because of how terrible the start of that race was, I was in the abyss. You know, I wasn't looking into the abyss. I was running miles in the abyss. And yeah, coming out of there was just, that was an experience in itself. Um, going from such a low to then just getting your legs moving again and then having this experience. But yeah, it's, it's weird. I think cause normally I am pretty adamant on like going after something and I, I would never have expected that to happen. Um, so the fact that it organically kind of transpired there, I didn't want it to end, uh, but yeah, oh, yeah it was, I can't imagine a moment like that ever. You'd ever want that to end. It's just, um, yeah, don't know how to describe that either. It, it, it's all on film too. That's the weirdest part of this. Is my pacer Dave like had the had his phone on a gimbal and captured it all, and I was like in a different place. So it was probably half a mile. I don't think it was a mile, but. I had been in flow for three miles total, but this like next level um, experience was, it was somewhat short lived. And then I probably wasn't eating because I was like in this like deep meditative state. So it's weird when you turn your brain off and you quit thinking, but then you go in a higher state of thinking. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense, but. Like, you're not thinking, but then you're thinking even higher level. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I understand what you're getting at. And and I'm trying to think of somewhere where I haven't had that running. And I, I can't honestly think, like, I don't think I've had a, a, a situation quite as profound as yours. But... Um, yeah, that that where everything's just clicking and you're completely there in the moment, your mind has gone completely blank and then and then just the whole world just makes sense for a second. Exactly. And, Half a mile. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I can't think of a, a time that I ha- that I've done that that wasn't while I was actually running. I think so, part of it is is modern day diets i mean i feel like a lot a lot of like historic um i don't know like buddhist monks they're like depriving themselves and not eating and and that sort of thing to create the state for higher consciousness and i think uh i think honestly modern day religion has a serious problem because of uh dietary standards these days like the standard american diet 
um, it's just so horrible for you that there's no way you can have a similar kind of like uh, like thought pattern as maybe back when we were eating more clean type foods. Yeah. Uh, as weird as that sounds, I, I really do think there's a connection between um, possibly like, you know, the the reduction in, you know, number of people that are um, having kind of like a more religious viewpoint in these diets that are just killing people like, uh, you know, really, really like kind of poisoning the body. So yeah. that was a tangent for you, but <laughs> I don't <laughs> well, have time I, to write I, a I book honestly, on that. <laughs> there's definitely something to be said there. I mean, my diet um, these days is so uh, restrictive um, because of the tumors in my intestine. So, uh, yeah, I totally, totally get where you're coming from there. Like, I, I feel I, there's right definitely now. a lot to be said there. That has to be hard, but honestly... I mean, you, you, we really should be eating to live. Um, yeah, not living to eat. Yeah, it's it's gotten carried away. I, and and don't get me wrong, like great tasting food or like you know, drinks. That's it's fun, but I mean, uh, it's it's gotten to the point where it's it's really creating a a massive problem. I, I yeah. got carried away. I. I weighed 200 pounds, you know, you know, the story I was way overweight. Yeah. Well, I was in I, love with food. <laughs> you, you look at your, um, your 10 year photo. Yes. It's, it's mind blowing. <laughs> People didn't know that was um, me. <laughs> no, there you would not recognize the difference between Rob, the athlete and, and Rob, the previous lifestyle. Um, I they, appreciate they, they are really different people, and I and I imagine that they weren't just different people physically, but also mentally. Um, totally. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was my comment. I actually got people saying like, "We don't care if you're uh, fifty pounds heavier or not. Like, we you're still beautiful." And I was like, "No, you missed the point. Like, uh, like I'm I'm happier now because I feel good. Like I'm yeah." Like I'm, I'm in a great place in terms of being able to meditate as an outlet for stress and running and, and, and exploring meeting people and loving this community. It's not about my weight. It's, it's about like actually being happy and 10 years has made all the difference. I don't have migraines. You know, I'm not totally, I'm a little more stressed now, uh, uh, it's of my own doing uh, <laughs> as opposed to prior and uh yeah no it, it's you you've nailed it though it's it's much more than just the physical body weight yeah yeah totally so this 330 mile race next year yeah tell us more about that because that's um like we used to have a race here in Australia in the eighties, and it's uh, it's my first recollection of seeing an ultra distance race. And Cliff Young was the guy who won it. Now Cliff Young was a potato farmer, and um, 
he was an unknown person before this this race and the race was from sydney to melbourne so it's about 900 kilometers which was that 500 odd miles um and everyone would like go to sleep you know because back then the, the thought was well you can only run this many hours a day you've got to sleep this many hours a day you can't just run non-stop and there was no rules saying you couldn't just run non-stop and so that's what cliff did he just ran and um there's a like there's a youtube video of him doing the run and uh, he's drinking milk in this YouTube video, or it's a milk-like Gosh. substance. Yikes. Um, you know, and, and that was his nutrition. And, um, yeah, just just crazy. So, And he ran part of that run in gumboots. I, I've heard, I think – I don't know if we talked about this or where I heard that, but I've heard about this. I, I need to research it more. Um, yeah. California so Untamed – I, I mean, I'm I'm trying to go in somewhat ignorant, so I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't know all the details, and I don't think to be successful at these ultra-long races, you need to know every turn-by-turn. Turn. Um, I mean, you need to generally know, like, what's the course marking like and not get totally lost, but I'm more excited to go to that race because at the finish line and at the start line, you know, I'm hanging out with really, really good friends. Like, I love the ultra running community. The 200 mile community is just a totally different breed. But like, you know, Ben Light, Catra Corbett, Dion Leonard. I'm trying to think of some others. Sean Nakamura is doing the race. Andrea Kuliman. Like, these are like become family. Essentially, it's like a family reunion uh, that we get to go. <laughs> We get to go, like, maybe we'll share 20 miles. And, you know, if we're lucky, I don't know, like, Moab 240, Catcher and I, I think we ran, like, probably 10 miles together. You run 10 miles with anyone, like, you really, you bond. And I just love this community. But, yeah, the, the people that sign up for this one are just, uh, you know, everyone's a little off that's an ultra runner. But these these guys are extra off, and I, I love them. I'm I'm part of that group, so uh, I'm just I'm focused on mile one. You know, I need to. I'm more concerned about setting up the logistics of do I have a flight in a car rental and maybe a place to sleep, but that's not that important. And that's that's a sense of adventure and exploring that's lost right now. Like we have Google Maps. If you're wondering about any place to explore and have an adventure is difficult. And I really find a sense of that when I don't know what's around the next turn, that's, what's driving me. Like, that's why I run. I love running to explore even, I mean, honestly, even if it's a uh, downtown, you know, concrete sidewalks, uh, not knowing what's around that next turn can really like, yeah, make it fun and interesting and different and make it an experience. And I can't wait for it. I'm super excited. Yeah, I think that uh, adventure is really the reason that I do run is for adventure. And that can be as simple as, like, I run new streets 
uh, I, I basically run a lot of streets because um, I don't have enough time to always drive to a trail. And so, you know, I'm living in a new part of the same city that I've always, uh, well, I've spent the last 18 years kind of living in the city, but I've lived in a different part of the city. So I'm exploring more of the, uh, actually more of the inner city that I have previously. And it was only yesterday that uh, I'm running along and I'm like, wow, what are those weird things sticking out of the wall? And the wall is like an old wall. And so I've had a closer look and then I've, I've had a closer look at the wall and, I, and I've run along a bit further and then there's this little plaque that says, these are the old horse hitching hooks for before hmm. car, from before cars. And it's like, oh, wow, like there used to be like 150 horses hitched up here. Wow. wow. You know, that's, like, that's just mind-blowing to think that that's, you know, how we used to operate. You know what I like about no I I I enjoy that I want to see a picture of that honestly on Instagram I'll, or something I'll send you a picture in a minute. Um, I I really like your Instagram photos because they give a different perspective that I don't think many people are sharing. Like when you zoom in on ants and like small like you do really great work, um, and I respect it a lot because it's different. And it's not like you're trying to be different. You're just sharing your perspective. And I think it's really cool what you're doing. So I don't know if Thank anyone's you. mentioned that before, but your your photography is really cool. I like it. Ta -ta. I, I've, look, I've had a few people comment that they, they, they literally wait for my photography each day. And I think, oh, I don't know whether you do that or not. You're just saying something nice. But yeah, a few, a few people have said that. And it's... I share it because I I like going out and capturing it. Like I'm, it's I, I I'm not doing it for anyone else really. I'm just publishing what I like to capture. Um, and you uh, that that all came from my first first term in university when I had to study microbiology as part of the course that I was doing, huh. and I'd just never seen this world before. And I went, this is just mind blowing. Like the little world that exists outside of our normal vision so yeah well i mean we we talked about death and i think what's really interesting and, and cool so i've talked smack about modern day society and how awful it is but um a really big positive is when you have something digital i don't think many people realize digital stuff is going to last forever so because of how everything's developing, we have data centers that are all around the globe. So as long as there's not some catastrophe that you know takes out every single data center in the entire world, um, you know, there's backups to backups to backups. So when you take a photo and you share it, uh, essentially that digital uh, photo will last forever. And we don't really understand this now because we don't appreciate it. But, um, and I've thought about websites that are designed in perpetual, like, you know, static state. So, like, you put a photo on there and your great, 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 great grandchildren can check out your photos. But essentially, they will, I believe, um, you know, have the 
have the ability to like, you know, I, I was saying everyone's going to die. Like, you know, sorry to break it to you, but uh, some of your digital work actually may be quite the opposite and could last forever, which is very, very difficult to understand. I think probably even harder than understanding death. Uh, it's it's not something that I've thought about um, until you've just mentioned it now, but it, I guess it'd be kind of like the uh, undercover un, uncovering of the hieroglyphics in um, Egypt, you know, that we know is so old, even more uh, permanent or, or even um, I know, you know, I, I've spent 12 months traveling around Australia and, and we've gone to some very remote locations uh, doing that and then walked into deserts to have a look at a painting that has been dated 20,000 years ago. And you, and you look at the painting and you just think, like, wow. Like, uh, one of them was um, a painting of a thylacine, which is a, a the Tasmanian tiger. And when a white man arrived in Australia, the Tasmanian tiger only existed in Tasmania, hence why it's called the Tasmanian tiger. And yet this was in the Northern Territory, 4,000 kilometres away, a picture of the same animal. So, yeah, painted on a cave wall. I mean, that's that's what future societies will be uh, analysing. It won't be a cave. It will be, uh, you know, a defunct Instagram account, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it will. It yeah. Will. Um, it, uh, yeah, it kind of brings us back around to um, to running, really. And running has been like a, a anthropological history, uh, running and walking. Uh, like every society has done that. And it's very interesting because, like, I've spoken to a lot of race directors and so on this year. Uh, mostly because uh, I need last-second entries. Mm-hmm. Um, planning a long way ahead and say, I'm going to enter your race, but I, I really don't want to pay for it yet because I could be dead or I could be in hospital. I just, like, life's that unpredictable. And um, so I've got to know a lot of race directors and, and I've been saying to all of them, like, why do you think that there's just this massive explosion in ultra-running? Um, because it, it, you know, like I've been doing it for a while, but the growth recently is huge. I've, I've gone to events now that, you know, this is in Australia and our, our population is pretty small compared with the US and yet 700 and 800 people are turning up to run 100Ks. Um, it's just mind-blowing. So, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. But, I mean, you know, the Aboriginal people here walked. They, they would do, you know, what was called walkabout, and that's where they disappear for 18 months to explore new country. Um, and I know from reading American Indian stuff, they would run 80 kilometres to, to go into a fight to run 80 kilometres back. Now, I'm not sure how valid or true that is, but, that you know, that's in history books. It, it seems to have been around forever, but it's just its current pop popularity go long is mind-blowing yeah i i mean well first of all going back to the tasmanian tiger tiger painting uh i mean it's interesting that 
the person that painted that was on their two feet, probably running as fast as they could away from it. Um, <laughs> and, and that's, that's essentially their Instagram photo. And nowadays we run and snap a photo differently, but nothing's changed, you know, over what, 80,000 years at least. Um, yeah. it's, it's just totally fascinating. And I think that goes to the root of um, the boom in trail and ultra running. I mean, there's something natural taking place here that we've we've been deprived of uh, for years. And I think also a lot of it's uh, like we both enjoy that sense of exploring and adventure. And I think that's just, I think society's... Uh, Post, I, I I have to say, post nine eleven, like I think society and, and post, um, you know, the the big recession, um, kind of the global recession. I think priorities have shifted, and people want to get out and travel and explore. And there's no better way than running to see and explore and travel, and it's that experience that people are looking for. So it's no, I, I think there's been this big shift and it's less about fancy watches and cars and stuff. And I think people are really, it, it's a real big positive development. Um, if anything, it's almost too, too positive, positive of a development and it's uh, overwhelming the system that's in place for, you know, the weirdos that want to go run trails. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's definitely, I mean, I've talked to race directors where they're seeing 20% increases in their trail races. And ironically, they're seeing 20% declines in their road races. So, um, people like pushing their own limits, testing themselves. And there's no better way to feel like, a sense of accomplishment and trying to do something that you might've seen as impossible. And I think, uh, you know, I've talked to other people, social media is definitely playing a role because I think a lot of people don't think themselves capable of a 50 K, you know, they had trouble at their local five K. How the heck could I do 10 times more? Um, and then they see it's probably part of the reason, my platforms had some success is they see a normal guy like me that is capable of doing this stuff. And then they, um, might see themselves capable because they see a normal guy with kids in a full-time job and not an extreme amount of training, a lot of training, but not excessive training. And I'm able to go out and have fun and do these races. And so they're connecting the dots like, hey, well, I, I want to do that. I want to maybe instead of that family cruise, you know, we can fly out and do that race and go explore Moab or whatever it is. So um, I, there's a lot of pieces that have all kind of um, collided at the same time. But yeah, without a doubt, trail and ultra running's in a boom right now. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, I think that's probably a good place for us to finish up our, uh, cool. our, our recorded conversation today. Um, thank you so much. The, 
chatting with you is just such a an easy chat. I could seriously do it every week. Um, I know well, that thank you don't you, have Ashley. Time, Likewise, but, uh, it's uh, it's like we've it's like it, it is literally like we've gone for a run and we're sitting down and we're having a coffee and we're just exactly. discussing the world, you know. And we'll do it again this next is, Thursday. This was this was a trail run conversation. Honestly, this is exactly yeah. what. This is kind of crazy stuff, you guys. If you're not on the trails already, this is the kind of stuff we chat about all all over the place. But interesting enough, hopefully. I hope it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly cool. what we do. And I apologize uh, for the listener that uh, Dozer has been snoring in the background and it's probably been coming <laughs> through loud and clear. That's not me snoring. That was definitely my dog. So, uh, yes. Excellent. Well, have a good have a good morning. Is it morning for you right now? No, it's it is afternoon here now. Okay. So it's it's evening where you are, and yeah, uh, it's now it's one one twenty three in the afternoon here. Uh, so it must be like eight. Is it eight thirty or quarter to nine? Yeah, eight thirty p.m. There Modern day world. It, it has Mod- its pros and cons. This is definitely a pro. It's very cool to it, talk to you, Ashley. Thanks. Yeah, thanks likewise. again for having me. Uh, thank, thank you very much for, for coming on. And that was episode 120. I hope you enjoyed it. Ashley, thank you again for inviting me on your podcast. Thank you to the show sponsors, Hammer Nutrition, Sufferfest Beer, Exoskin, Destination Trail, Ultimate Direction. You guys have been phenomenal work to work with. I'm excited to announce some upcoming 2020 sponsors. Patreon supporters, you guys are awesome. I love the closed Facebook group and you make this all work. So just very appreciative, very humble going into 2020 across the years is coming up here soon. That will likely be my next episode is pre-race thoughts going into across the years, the last person standing and the 200 mile race. Thanks for your guys' support. Have a happy new year. Don't forget to enjoy your training.